loving me. And I was just looking at the cross that is behind me and I oftentimes think of just how good the Lord has been to me. So undeserving, yet he continues to bless as he has. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, of the cross and something that is so beautiful, yet at the same time, not so beautiful in what it represents. A a symbol of life, yet also a symbol of death. This morning, we heard the song, you know, Not Guilty. Uh, what a wonderful message. With it. As a matter of fact, I, I, we could close the service out uh, this morning and um, we could say that we've, we've heard the gospel uh, because there was the gospel in song. But I want to think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, if you want to find your way there. Uh, this morning. Some of you may recognize the name, if I were to say, a, a gentleman by the name of P.P. P. Bliss. He was an individual who wrote um, much music, much of the hymns that are in our hymnal. He actually wrote and he served as a musical songwriter and associate evangelist with D.L. Moody. In the early years of Moody's career, Mr. Bliss was his favorite songwriter. And he would carry him along with him on these great uh, crusades and evangelistic revival campaigns that he had. Bliss died at a young age of 38. Even by that age, he had written many gospel songs, and they have entered into uh, our uh, tradition. If you were raised in any evangelical uh, church, even without knowing it, you've done a lot of singing of his music. He wrote the song, Hallelujah, What a Savior. He wrote a great invitational song, Almost Persuaded. He wrote the tune that goes to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote a peppy little chorus, Dare to Be a Daniel. And I was intrigued and I guess pleased at the same time that he even wrote the song, Jesus Loves Even Me. Out of all of those songs that he wrote, without a doubt in my mind, the most famous and probably the most loved is the one that is sung in most every church. And it's a song that goes, Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of grace and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. I thought about that song this week as I was preparing this message. And and I thought about wonderful words in God's word. 
and words that are foundational, if you will, uh, to our Christian belief, the Baptist heritage that we have. And I thought about six words, and we won't look at all six of these. Uh, this You wouldn't get out of here till tonight, and I, I don't want y'all that mad at me, okay? But I thought we would take maybe each word the next several weeks and just look at these words, these key words to the Christian life. They're not the small words. It's, it's, the, it's the big words of the Christian life. In fact, some of these are, are the big words that tend to, that we read and, and maybe we don't even understand them. We kind of skip over them. Because oftentimes, not only do we not understand them, but, that, but perhaps we have so many different ideologies concerning these words. The words of justification, the perpetuation, uh, redemption, reconciliation, regeneration, adoption. Well, those are words that sometimes we overlook and we maybe have some different ideas on them. These six words will lead us back to the very cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we looking at these words? Why do we find it important to, to study these words? And, and One reason is because today Christianity is fearfully, biblically illiterate. Untaught Christians face grave temptations. We know that sound teaching provides strong Christians. What's sad is there's a lot of not-so-sound teaching today. There's a lot of untaught Christians today, and because of that, we are illiterate of what the Word of God says, and that's why we have the things happening that are happening. This is why the Apostle Paul, writing in the New Testament, he always begins with biblical doctrine. He does it at Colossae with the, the church at Colossians, over in Colossians. He does it uh, to the church at Philippi and Philippians and Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. And then he takes the Bible doctrine and he applies it to life. So that's what we're going to do as well as we go back to the Bible and look at these great doctrines, these great words. I trust that we will become a stronger Christian because of it. And this first word is justification. It is one of my favorite words because it, it simply means uh, to, to uh, be justified, to be just as if I had never sinned. All Christians agree that justification is a central doctrine to the Christian faith. It's, it's one of those red-letter teaching, one of those, um, matter of fact, Martin Luther, who spearheaded the Reformation, uh, called justification the cornerstone of Christianity. The very cornerstone. J.L. Packer said that any church that has lapsed from justification by faith can scarcely be called a Christian church. So it's the cornerstone. So I think if we understand church history this morning, then you know that justification by faith was the hallmark 
or the touchstone of the Protestant Reformation. Now, I'm not going to go into the lots of detail uh, on this, but uh, we know the story of Martin Luther. He was a Roman Catholic monk. Uh, he went to uh, he was in Wittenberg, Germany, and and he sought for years as a learned teacher of the Bible to discover peace with God. Isn't it something how even the most religious oftentimes don't have peace? He saw peace with God and he was reading through the Bible. Now, this is a very condensed version of this, okay? So if you want more information, I would encourage you to to look it up. But he was searching for peace and he could not find it. And he felt God was angry with him and he felt that God was far away from him. Turning point in his life is when he came, he journeyed to Rome and he was crawling up the stairs of the church at Rome with tears running down his face saying, Our Father, and praying to God to make himself real to him. Keep kissing each stair while he was climbing to the top of those stairs and suddenly a text of scripture burst into his mind that the just shall live by faith. And it was in that moment, that great and glorious moment, that Martin Luther understood that it is not by crawling, it is not by kissing, it is not by going to church, nor by any other human effort that we have, but it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that a man is made right with God. And from that great realization came the spark that ignited a flame that became known as the Protestant Reformation that spread around the world. And here we are today. Now I know there are some that say the Baptists have been around long before and and that may be true in certain aspects and practice and polity, but we have to give credit to the Protestant Reformation of where we are today. It became a tradition because Martin Luther believed exactly how we believe today, that man is justified through faith in Jesus Christ, wholly apart from works. There's nothing that we can do. We could tread these baptismal waters all day, every day, and we would still be a lost man. It's by Christ alone. This is, poses the question, how can a man be made right with God? It's a profound question. How can a man be made right with God? And the only one answer in the Bible is that he is made right with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at this scripture this morning in Romans chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 24. Actually, I I want to back up. Let's read verse 23. Because verse 23, I believe, would provide the foundation as to why verse 24 was mentioned. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know who that is? That's everybody, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely 
by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath sent forth to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the cross. Lord, we're thankful that you are guilty of loving us and that because of your great love for us we can have justification father we're so thankful that you saw fit to die for us and we're thankful for your mercy and your grace this morning and god i pray that as we look at your word god that you would help me to proclaim it to proclaim his truth. God, hide me behind this cross. Let these dear folk not see me, but they would see you. Lord, speak to our hearts today. And Lord, for whatever you do, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Justification. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What is justification? What is the definition of justification? In the Greek, to justify means to declare righteous. To declare one righteous. You justify someone when you declare them to be innocent or not guilty and righteous in the eyes of the law. That's how our court system uh, I, uh, uh, defines justification, to be innocent of whatever wrongdoing it is that they were accused of. It, it does not mean to make um, righteous, um, but it means to declare righteous. It means to look at someone who is guilty and to declare to them as if they were not guilty. They are innocent, righteous, they are free to go. The record has been wiped away. And a technical definition, I guess, uh, to you could be justification is a divine miracle whereby God declares righteous the sinner who believes in Jesus. That would be a seminary definition, I guess you could say. The divine miracle whereby God declares righteous the sinner who believes in Jesus. So we see the definition. What is the means of this ju uh, justification? In order to give uh, you this means, then, then we need to re read these well-known verses. And you go back and, and read the Bible, you'll discover that the doctrine of justification is found uh, throughout all of the New Testament. There are many places you find it. Some are, are laid out very clearly here in Romans uh, chapter 3. And he poses this question, how then can a man or you be justified 
before God. How? Justification is by the grace of God. Notice what verse 24 says, that all are justified by His grace. By His grace. So it starts with the very grace of God. It's not something that you and I work up. It's not something that we do through our own efforts. You're not justified before God by coming to this church or any other church or being baptized or giving money or those things count for for nothing at all when it comes to justification. Justification is through faith. Verses 24 and 25, we read, Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith. Justification is always based on the very death of Jesus Christ. Notice there the scripture says, Through faith in his blood. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. He was buried and he rose from that grave so that the efforts through the effects of the blood of Christ could be justified or declared righteous in the very eyes of God. Justification is wholly apart from all of human effort. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to earn merit with God. I hope I offend no one here this morning, but I I get a chuckle oftentimes when I'm um, late nights. If you can't sleep, you turn on the TV, and you know that's when all your unsound doctrinal preachers are preaching. And and uh, I, I get a kick out of how you can or how these people uh, proclaim all these things in the name of God. How because of their power, and I say that loosely, how they have this miracle spring water, you know. Or um, I forget the other one, it was um, uh, like a prayer cloth. And, and I mean, those things, you know, I, I get to an extent what they're saying, but by their power, it is nothing. And then request money for that. I saw a church, I kid you not, this week, um, I saw a church charging a fee for people to come and be baptized. I was thrown to the ground. I'm like, why would you charge for that when Jesus said, come and drink freely of the water of life? There is no cost. On this salvation. There is nothing that you and I could do. I couldn't charge you. Um, to come and hear me preach. This We would be more empty than we are this morning. Right? The audacity of. Some. Making the Lord's house. A brothel. Pimping out the gospel. They will answer for that. There is nothing on our part where we could be justified in the sight of God. For we maintain, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. 
The law here is referring to the Old Testament, that the law is the law of the Moses, the Ten Commandments. And, and while I'm not saying we don't obey those, I'm saying that there is also, a t- the New Testament has new laws that we're giving where Christ came. And a lot of those things needed for salvation in the Old Testament is no longer needed for salvation in the New Testament. It's by the blood of Christ. Romans 4, 5 says, However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. God says to turn from your wicked ways, run to the cross to embrace Jesus Christ, and you will be justified even while you are still in your sinful, wicked state. Christ will forgive you. Many of you have probably heard of the case of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was an individual who did some heinous uh, crimes and he was eventually caught and he locked up in prison and he was killed in prison. And people ask, um, I think they did a show on it uh, recently, but uh, and someone had asked me if I thought that uh, he went to heaven. And, you know, that's not a place for me to, to say. That would be no different than any of you coming and asking me if I think you're going to heaven. I would love to say absolutely, right? I, I would hope that everyone in this room is going to heaven. But that is not for me. That's between you and God. And I don't know the genuineness of this gentleman's heart. That was between him and God. And and I think that this is a really good example for us to test maybe our doctrinal. Because when we look at him, we want to secretly say, if he's going to heaven, then I don't want to be there. Because of the way he was. Because of what he has done. I don't even want to think about God letting a man like that into heaven. I think that would be our heart. Now, am I saying that's right? No. Because again, he's still what? Human. And in our, if our evangelical doctrine of justification means anything, then it means that God justifies serial killers while they are still guilty of their sin. If there is no hope for Jeffrey Dahmer, then, dear friend, I can rest assured this morning in telling you that if there's no hope for him, there is no hope for you or me. Justification is a divine miracle of God. It starts with God. It has nothing uh, to, to do with us. It's nothing that we work up. And if we are justified, it is because we have received that miracle from God. Justification is not an experience. It doesn't matter if you feel justified or not. Justification happens to the believer the moment that we trust in Christ. 
there is no such thing as someone partly justified or halfway uh, justified. My grandfather, uh, in his latter years, had a he converted and, and accepted Christ, and and uh, he would always jokingly say he had a really bad cigarette habit, and and thankfully in the last couple of years of his life he was able to kick that habit but I remember him telling me uh, on multiple occasions he said I may make it to heaven but I'm going to be smelling like smoke when I get there and you know that goes along with this halfway is something that we have is it halfway done no that we are wholly justified at that very moment Justification means that your salvation is eternally secure because it does not rest on you, but it rests wholly on God. And to be quite honest with you, I'm glad it's not in my hands because I would have let go a long time ago. Amen. I'm thankful that my God is able and powerful enough to keep that which is committed to him. And then finally, the effects of justification. If you are justified, then you are completely forgiven. If you are justified, then you have a new righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21 says that God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him you are declared not guilty and you can never be condemned isn't that great to know that god in all of his love as sinful as we are matter of fact paul said uh, that there is none righteous no not one he became sin for us to make us righteous Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. What does Romans chapter 8 say? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who shall condemn us. It is Jesus Christ who died. Yea, who rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Can the devil condemn us? No. Can our friends condemn us? No. Can our enemies condemn us? No. Can our demons, the demons that that are around, condemn us? No. Will God condemn us, those that trust in him? No, he won't. Jesus will not because he died and he rose again for this very thing. Can we condemn ourselves? We can certainly try, but we can't even condemn ourselves because through justification you have a standing that is eternally secure in the eyes of Almighty God. He is not bothered by the fact that you do not even understand it completely. God says that he will not condemn you, and very simply, that's that. 
That is the great implication of justification. It's no wonder that this is central to the very Christian faith. It's no wonder that Luther said that this is the very cornerstone of Christianity. No wonder this was the very thing that went around the world, this flame, because it is the heart of all that we believe. Justified. I remember the story of John Wesley who was a priest. And in that day and time, I guess even, even now, I'm not, I'm not sure, but in that day and time, the church, if you were baptized as a child, then that's all you needed. And his father was in the church life as well, and he became a priest. And nonetheless, so keep this in mind. Here, John Wesley is, who was the founder um, by accident of the Methodist movement, a priest proclaiming the word of God to people, but a lost man. It was not some years after he was even a priest, a man who was proclaiming the word of God, a man who was baptizing people, that he got saved. He went to a revival meeting. Many of you may have heard it. Aldersgate was proclaiming evangelists. And the story says that John Wesley felt in his heart a strange tingling within his heart because what he had was not from God. But this tingling, this new, this burning to get right to be saved. And then it sparked a movement, a call to holiness that you can't pay for your sins through monetary gifts to the church or to your priest. You, you, don't, you don't pay for your sins or confess your sins to an individual. That's only to God. And it's only God that can save. And it's only God that can make you justified. How can a man be made right with God. There is an answer. There is only one answer. You can be made right with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who paid it all for you. I'll close with this question. Have you ever been justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing or are you still trying to justify yourself with, with religion, through, through ceremonies, through baptism, through good works, through trying to do the very best you can do? Dear friend, all those things will do nothing for you. We need to run to the cross. You know, I look at our world, and I, I don't want to keep you much longer this morning. I, my heart breaks as I, I see things that is happening in our 
world and our society, especially in the Israel uh, situation. And, and I can't help but think, you know, this could be the time. You know, we could be living in the time, which I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. We need to run to the cross. Lay hold of Jesus Christ. Grab onto him and let him take us all the way to heaven. Now, I'm not saying, you know, hit that ticket right now and ride the first bus out of here. I'm just saying we need to grab onto the Lord. Turn from our self-righteousness, our self-effort, and grab onto Jesus. You'll never regret it. The road will not be easy. There will be some tough times and not in this life and not in the life to come have you ever been justified through faith in Christ. I bid you and I urge you to open your heart to him today. We will extend this time of invitation if you need to come and do business with God. Now is your opportunity. If you'd like, we'll pray with you, talk with you cry with you, whatever we need to do. This is your chance. This is your opportunity as we sing together.